stand together, shall we? And let me uh, uh, finish what I was meaning to say a moment ago, that even if you don't mark your envelope during the offering time, you can grab an envelope and, and uh, pledge or, or uh, give any amount you feel led to give. Do you believe the Holy Ghost can lead to you to give? He can do that. And so whatever happens during this service, we want the Lord to have his way. Let's put our hands together and welcome brother and sister Staring. They're coming to sing and preach. Talk to us. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's give that applause to the Lord right now. Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's very good to be here again. My wife and I, we were here uh, many years ago, and you took us on actually as a partner a long time ago. So when you're looking at the photographs and to see the work of what God is doing in Lebanon, you can say that you are a part of this work. So I, I want to first thank you for your faithful support to us and all that you have done. So you're a part of this work. So thank the Lord for what God is doing. We're so excited to hear that eight souls were water baptized in the mighty name of Jesus today. And we're believing that God is going to continue to move in this service tonight. At this time, I'm going to have my wife to come and greet you. Praise the Lord. Wonderful saints of the Most High God in Georgia. It's good to be here one more time. Uh, we want to speak to you, of course, about the Middle East. And uh, if you're wondering about the area, it's, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, that's a general area. And if you come to the table after service and have any questions that aren't answered in the presentation, I'll be happy to answer them. Um, we're talking about 22 Arabic-speaking nations. It's similar in size to the United States of America as far as land, if you put it all together. It's also very similar in population, 300 to 350 million people. So to explain to you the need that exists in the Middle East, think of it like this. Your pastor and 11 other preachers you know, not only trying to evangelize the entire state of Georgia, but the entire United States of America. That's the need that exists in the Middle East, praise the Lord. When we first went to the Middle East 34 years ago, we were just the third missionary couple that was there. And many things, as you'll be seeing, have been done. Uh, but the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So part of uh, the reason why we're here is part of the sending. Uh, we can't get jobs there like many parts of the world. You're the foreigner. That means no job for you here, <laughs> just like in this country. So, uh, but the Lord has a plan for that. And you know, sometimes the plan of God doesn't seem logical, but guess what? It works. <laughs> so you can be sure that the, um, the financial and the economic plan and the word of God definitely works. Um, I'm a fifth generation uh, oneness apostolic believer. And uh, I can say for my family, those who have stuck with God's plan and those who haven't, you can tell the difference. <laughs> the ones that stuck with it are blessed, and the ones who didn't, they aren't. So anyway, uh, you, can, you can count, you can bank on God's economy. Uh, Arabic is called the heavenly language because it'll take an eternity to learn. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's considered the second most difficult language in the world after Mandarin Chinese. We had Mandarin Chinese in our Arabic class, and they said, no, this is more difficult. But anyway, <laughs> Arabic is from the ancient language of Aramaic. Aramaic is what Jesus spoke, and you have several places in the New Testament where you have uh, Abba Father. Abba is the Aramaic, Aramaic word for father, and thus that's what you say in Arabic. Father, and also you have the other place in the New Testament where they've transliterated, and it was the little girl that was raised from the dead. Uh, they said Talitha Kumai. Kumai means get up, and that's how you say it in Arabic. Okay, uh, you will be seeing many uh, verified testimonies of miracles in the presentation tonight. Praise the Lord. Uh, but the most and the greatest miracle. Let's not forget, it's what your pastor's already talked about today. It's repentance. It's baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, just like the Bible says. That's what it's all about. That's why we're be going. That's why we stay. That's why we do what we do. It's all because that his salvation is full. It's free. It's for everyone. It's right here for you tonight in the name of Jesus. And uh, I just want to say that everything you see is because Jesus did it. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor for everything that you see. Uh, and so I'm going to sing a little bit of Arabic for you here. Uh, remember the incident in the book of Acts where the apostles sang and were released miraculously uh, from prison. It probably sounded something like you're going to hear in just a minute. So if you could stand with me, we're going to sing that chorus, You Deserve the Glory. And the honor, Lord, I lift my hands in worship as I magnify your name. We're going to sing it once together in English. I'll switch to Arabic. And you keep singing in English, and we'll finish off in English. Here we go. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, I lift my hands in worship as I magnify your name. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, I lift my hands in worship as I magnify your name. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you.
Amen. You may be seated. As you can see, we have been 34 years in the Middle East now. And if you do the math, this means I was four years old and my wife was minus three when we were appointed. We started in 1984 in the country of Jordan. In Amman, Jordan, we were furlough replacements for Gary and Linda Reed, pioneer missionaries there. Now, our time there, we had seen many people baptized, many people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and many miracles that have even been documented in the hospitals there. We had, as we were studying Arabic in Jordan, there were three men from communist China, we started Bible studies with them before going back to China. One was baptized in the precious name of Jesus. We studied with a missionary from another group, and he got baptized also in the precious name of Jesus. There were two ladies from England, both with the first name of Julie. One was a former atheist. The other was a former Jehovah Witness. I'm happy to tell you, they got baptized in Jesus' name. They received the Holy Ghost. They're back in the U.K. still serving the Lord. Now, the one that was the Jehovah Witness, listen to this great combination. She's from England, Jehovah Witness. Her husband, a Jordanian Muslim. They had a woman working for them, and she was a Buddhist from Sri Lanka. So a Buddhist, a Muslim and a Jehovah Witness in one house. It sounds like a joke, right? But this is not. I'm not making this. It's not starting out as a joke now. Well, Julie, we invited her to church. She came. She got the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. And there was a great transformation that took place in her life. The transformation was so great that the Buddhist woman had to come to church to find out what it was uh, that changed the life of Julie. She came to church. She got the Holy Ghost. She got baptized in Jesus' name. When she went back to Sri Lanka, she went back to her Buddhist village and helped start the very first United Pentecostal Church in her Buddhist village. Now, there are about eight churches that are in the area. She is responsible for the ladies' ministry and still doing great. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. The other one that was the former atheist, she's baptized. She's back in the U.K. serving the Lord in United Pentecostal churches there. Many people we have been in contact with that got baptized in Jordan back in the 80s still serving the Lord today. Then in 1989, we went to the very beautiful island of Cyprus to minister. While we were there, we ministered to, to Lebanese refugees. We ministered to Cypriots on a British military base and even had opportunities to minister to missionaries there. And we will give some of those testimonies later. Pioneering the United Pentecostal Church of Lebanon. This is a cedar of Lebanon, the national symbol. They tell us that this particular tree is about 6,000 years old. So if this tree could talk, what it would tell us. Now, to me, Lebanon is a very special place. My mother's parents were born here in the Bekaa Valley. When you go from the Bekaa Valley up to Mount Lebanon, a mountain range that stretches from the north to the south of this country, then you go from these mountains down to the Mediterranean Sea, 
As we can witness in these photographs, Lebanon is a very majestic place. And it is a country that has a great history of more than 7,000 years. This is Baalbek, the city of the sun. My grandfather was born about a 15, 20-minute drive from these ruins. In Baalbek, you have the largest building blocks in the entire world. To show you how large they are compared to anything else, in the Great Pyramid of Egypt are the second largest stones, and they use very small pebbles of only 200 tons. But here we see this, the largest block in the world, still in the quarry, 1,200 tons. There are three building blocks in this temple here. Each block is 830 tons apiece. It was cut in the quarry, moved about a half a mile. They tell us that it took about 30,000 workers to move one stone, put it into its place on a platform 24 feet off the air. Then they went back and they brought the second and then the third. Something that is in today's terminology, something that is in today's idea would be completely impossible to move a building block of 830 tons. But to 2,000 years ago, 30,000 workers pulled together as one. They were united. They pulled, and the impossible became the possible. What would happen if the people of God united in this form? What would happen if the people of God united and interceded and wept for the loss and the dying of their community? I'll tell you what will happen. Principalities and powers will come down. Miracles will happen. Mighty things will be done when the people of God unite with one heart in the will of God. The city of Jebel Biblos is the oldest continuously inhabited city in the entire world. The name Biblos comes from the Greek word Biblos, which means books. Here, the very first phonetic alphabet was created. The phonetic alphabet was created in Phoenicia in this city. Later, the Greeks adapted these letters. They called the city Biblos the city of the books. They tell us that the New Testament was compiled here, and when they gave the name to the book, they called it Biblos, which is Bible. The book of books was compiled here in the city of books. As I told you, this is the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. To go to this beautiful city that is along the Mediterranean Sea today, this is what we see. But right now, we just step back 1,000 years in history to this castle built during the days of the Crusaders. Now we just step back 2,000 years to Roman ruins built during the days of Jesus. These are Greek ruins that date back 2,300 years. And if you think that's old, this is the ruin for the Temple L that literally dates back 4,000 years. This dates back to the days of Abraham. You see, this city used to be called Gabal. Gabal means the Mount of Baal. But during the days of Abraham, the Temple of Baal was torn down and the Temple of El was constructed. El is the God that Abraham worshipped. El, the strong and the mighty. 
and this city was converted during the days of Abraham to worshiping the one true and the mighty God. The name of the city was changed from Gabal, the Mount of Baal, to Jebel, the Mount of El. God's name was placed upon this city 4,000 years ago. In the days of Abraham, this city was converted to worshiping the one true and the mighty God. And this is the city where we live and minister today. We are there to bring God back to this city and to bring this city back to the one true, the living God, the God of Abraham. Prophecy. Jeremiah 22 and 20 reads, go up to Lebanon and cry. A prophecy of the Civil War, which began April 13, 1975. And for 15 very long years, the Civil War raged in Lebanon. During that time, many lives were lost and many areas were completely destroyed. My first trip to Lebanon was 1977 during the Civil War. Then in 1992, we moved to Lebanon with my family to pioneer the first apostolic work. When we went there, there were no churches, no saints waiting for us. So we had a search for truth chart in Arabic. We started going from house to house, from living room to living room to give home Bible studies. In the first four years, we taught home Bible studies to more than 150 people. We started services in our living room. Then in 1999, we relocated to a larger area, and here more people came, more miracles were done, more people got the Holy Ghost, more people got baptized in Jesus' name. And on this particular day, on 9-11-2003, these are three Muslim men that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on 9-11-2003. You see, there is nothing that is impossible to our God. There is no soul that is too far that God cannot reach down to them, that God cannot bring salvation to their soul. On 9-11-2003, a Muslim ministry began, and in the next few months, about 20 Muslims were baptized in Jesus' name. Many received the Holy Ghost. We had Muslims driving from two and a half hours away. They heard about the miracles that were taking place. One woman who was riddled with arthritis came to church. She came with arthritis. She left completely healed by the anointing power of the almighty God. The next Sunday more, Muslims were coming from two and a half hours away. When we went to their area, we went into their house. One got on the telephone. She started calling her neighbors. In five minutes, her living room was full of people that wanted me to lay hands and call upon the name of Jesus. I want you to know our God is in control. Our God is performing miracles. And souls are coming to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his holy name. 2009, we moved to downtown Jebel Biblos. The oldest continuously inhabited city in the entire world, and we are the first evangelical church in its history to be in downtown Jebel Biblos. 
When we were going to start services there, there was a group that gave us a warning. They even put the warning on television. They said, if we go to start church, they will close us by force. Now, this group that issued this threat in 2009 is very serious. Three years before that, 45 minutes away in another city, another evangelical church was opening up a church in a new location, the same group says, if you're going to have church, we will close you by force. The same group. The pastor did not heed the warnings of that group. They had church service, their first service. That group came in. They beat up the pastor. They beat up all the men of the church. They put them all in the hospital. They destroyed that church building. To this day, this building is not allowed to be used for church services. To this day, this building is closed. So three years later, when they gave us the same issue, they mean business. We mean business, too. We got to praying. We got to interceding. And God made a way for us to have services. And that group is leaving us alone. You see, if God is on our side, who in the world could ever be against us? We serve the almighty God. And there is nothing too hard for the Lord. 2011, we started our School of Theology. This year, we have 15 students enrolled in our Bible, in our Bible school there. Apostolic literature and music. When we went to the Middle East, there were no apostolic songs, and there was very little apostolic literature in Arabic. So we started taking songs that bless us in English, having them translated into the Arabic language, Hundreds of songs have been translated. We started taking material, translating material. We started with Sunday school material from nursery level right on up. Many Bible studies have been translated. Devotional tracts have been written in Arabic. Tracts like Why Did God Choose Tongues and Others Translated. Home fellowship material into Arabic. 11 discipleship courses, three David Bernard booklets, five years of Bible school into Arabic, and three Lee Stone King books. The last book that we translated was Brother Stone King's testimony, Being Raised from the Dead. Brother Stone King was my first pastor, so it was an honor to put his material into the Arabic language. When we completed this book, we gave the very first Arabic copy to the mufti of our area. A mufti is a Muslim bishop. The Muslim bishop of our area received the very first copy, and we gave testimony about miracles when we pray in the name of Jesus. You see, they believe that Jesus performed miracles 2,000 years ago, and we are telling them that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did 2,000 years ago, he is still doing today. When we call upon his name, he is present. And when the Lord is present, something is going to happen. Miracles are going to take place. Our message will reach the Middle Eastern people. They believe in one God. We believe in one God. The difference, we know his name. His name is Jesus. Jesus put more than just a prophet that walked their land 2,000 years ago. He is the Ancient of Days. He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
But even though there are similarities, there are differences, and these differences very well could get us killed in the Middle East. There is a warfare that is going on. There is a spiritual warfare going on. Daniel knows about spirit, knew about spiritual warfare. He was praying and fasting for 21 days. He had a burden for his people. And with that, he went to praying and fasting with the determination he would not break his fast until he heard from God. On the 21st day, Gabriel comes to him and said, Daniel, from the first day, God sent me. But the prince of Persia withstood me for 21 days until Michael came to take up the battle. This shows us how powerful spiritual warfare is in the Middle East, and it is still that powerful today. But we are not going to be intimidated because we have been given authority to tread upon serpents and upon snakes. We have been given authority to bring down principalities and powers. We are not going to be intimidated by any human, by any spirit, by any force, by any principality. We we are there to have revival. God has called us to have revival. He has given us promises. And in Jesus' name, we are going to have revival. We need to understand we may walk in the flesh, but our battle is a spiritual one. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. I said they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds in this is the authority that the almighty God has given to his church. This is the anointing. This is the dominion that God has given to the church. But we need to take the place that God has given to us. We need to have the mind of Joshua. We have a promise and we're going to have to fight for the promise. It means we're going to have to put on our serious face. We're going to battle against principalities and powers. Joshua marched in to the promised land. He never looked back. He never looked back. We are straightforward. God has called us. We have found the spirits that we are dealing with, the spirits of fear, hate, and bloodthirsty revenge. So what we do is we bind these in the name of Jesus and we loose the love of God to counter it. You see, the love of God casts out all fear. They may have the spirit of hate and fear, which is a very powerful spirit, but there is nothing more powerful than the love of God. The love of God brought Jesus to go all the way to Calvary. From Calvary, there is mercy. And with mercy, there is grace. And with that, there is salvation. Without the mercy and the grace of the Almighty God, nobody could be saved today. But because of his love, he made a way. We also have... Great idolatry in Lebanon. There are three idol statues that are about 10 stories high. So what we do is we bind the spirit of idolatry and witchcraft that goes with it, and we loose the spirit of truth. When we preach truth, we want people's hearts to be open to hear and accept the truth that they are hearing. I would like for you to stand with me right now. I am not done preaching, but I want you to pray with me. We're going to unite together. 
This church has been supporting our ministry for many years. You're a part. Everything that you see, you're a part of it. And what I'm going to do, we're going to pray together. And when I leave here, when you put your mission offering in, you're going to know more clearly how to pray for the missionaries in the Middle East. And what we do in the Middle East also works in the state of Georgia. It also works in the United States of America to find principalities and powers that are in your area. To give a short testimony, I was in a church, and it was in Ontario, Canada. And, and the, the pastor was telling me that, that they have a little bit of revival, and then there's problems, and they can't, they can't break through the barrier, the forces that are there. So I started praying, Lord, reveal to me what is the principality and the power that is, that is, that is causing this. And as I prayed, I, I saw a totem pole. And at the top of the totem pole, there was the spirit of fear. I told that to the pastor. So we began binding the spirit of fear, loose the love of God. The next week, I'm getting a text from this pastor. The next couple of weeks after that, I'm getting a text. I got a text from him a few weeks ago. He said, ever since you've been here, it's been over two months. He said, this church has been in revival. He says, people are getting healed. People are getting baptized ever since you were here. And then he said in a service we had a few weeks ago, he said there was a tongues and interpretation. And God said he was going to pray bring the darkness down and in a vision he said I saw that totem pole fall over it has been defeated and there is continual revival in the city what did we do we identified the principality and the power that was fighting against them we we identified the spirit that was many generations in that city but I want you to know there is no force that can stand against the church of the almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let us pray right now by the authority of the name of Jesus. We unite with one heart. We unite with one mind. We unite with one soul in the name of Jesus. For this is one body. We are the body of Christ. You are the head and we are the body. And we take authority in the name of Jesus for the spirit of fear, of hate, and bloodthirsty revenge that is taken in place in the Middle East. We bind these spirits in the name of Jesus. We take authority over these dominions, over these powers in the mighty name of Jesus. And by the authority that you have given to us, we loose right now the spirit of love, the love of God, the perfect love of God that casts out all fear in the name of Jesus. When we come in contact with these people, they may be possessed with the spirit of fear and hate and these spirits are powerful but you are the almighty and there is no force that can come against you and we come against this with the spirit of love with the love of God the mercy of God and the grace of God let people's hearts be melted before us let them feel the love of God and let them be drawn in the name of Jesus 
for the idolatry and the witchcraft in Lebanon. We bind you in the name of Jesus and we loose the spirit of truth. When people hear the words of truth, let their eyes be open. Let their ears and their hearts be open to accept in Jesus' name the words of truth that are being preached unto them. In the mighty name of Jesus and for the principalities and the powers that are here in the name of Jesus for the spirit of religion that is holding people back from being baptized in Jesus name right now we come against you in the name of Jesus my Lord there is also the spirit of fear that is in this place that is in this city in the name of Jesus we come against you we bind you in the name of Jesus and we loose the spirit of love in the name of Jesus my Lord I thank you for the revival that is broken out in this city and in this church in this congregation and I pray let it prevail in Jesus name let it continue in the name of Jesus because souls are at stake in these altars my God let blind eyes open deaf ears unstop let the lame walk let the alcoholics be delivered. Let the drug addicts be delivered. Let people that are bound to all sorts of perversion here in these altars be set free. Here in these altars receive salvation. By the grace of the almighty God, by your anointing, by the authority of your name and your precious blood, the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. We have been 34 years in the Middle East. And I thank the Lord for the many churches, and this is one of them that has been supporting us for many years. Thank you for, for your vision to reach out beyond your own borders. I want you to know the authority and the power that is in the church. Sometimes we do not realize how powerful we are. 1977, when I was in Lebanon, I was by myself. I was staying with different relatives, but I got very sick. I was placed in the hospital, and the doctor gave me two weeks to live. And back in 1977, there was no way to contact anyone in America to tell them about my situation. But the Lord did for me. On a Monday prayer and fast in my home church in Schenectady, New York, as they were praying, as they were fasting, the Lord uh, encouraged them to pray for me. They requested prayer, and when they requested prayer for me, there was tongues and interpretation. God told them that I was suffering, but that he was going to pull me up. And then God healed me 6,000 miles away because of the prayers of the saints of God. Because when we pray... We touch heaven. When we touch heaven, we shake heaven. And when heaven shakes, he is going to come down. He is going to do something. It doesn't matter. 6,000 miles to him means absolutely nothing. Time and space mean nothing to the Lord. Yeah. 
Then in 1992, I was visiting a home. They put poison in the coffee that they served me. Not knowing the poison was there, I drank it. And in a short time, my chest from the inside started swelling up to the place I could barely breathe. I left that house. I went to another one. I lied down, and, and I thought I was coming to the place where I was giving my last breath. But what happened 6,000 miles away, God told a man in church that I was poisoned. He got on his knees. He prayed for me, and God instantly healed me 6,000 miles away. This is the church that we belong to. When we pray, God moves. When God moves, something is going to happen. We do not have to be afraid of things out there. They need to be afraid when the people of God pray. They need to be afraid when the church unites. They need to be afraid when the church is marching for the sake of souls in the name of Jesus this is the church that we belong to. For 34 years, we've been ministering in the Middle East, and churches have been partnering with us. Churches have been praying for us. I've been in times during the years, very needy times. How we get an email from somebody, we're praying for you. What's wrong? At a time we needed it the most. Thank God for the church. We are more important to each other than we realize. We are more tied into each other than we realize. So how much do I love the church? I cannot tell you. Words cannot express my love for the church. As we're traveling throughout North America, this is my last service. We do have some projects that we still have going on. Uh, evangelism and our building are two of the most important Ones, our form of evangelism basically is home Bible studies. This year, almost everyone that was baptized this year first came into a home Bible study, from a home Bible study to a church service to the, to the baptismal tank. Once we get them in church, we get them into discipleship class. So not only do we have home Bible study, but we have discipleship in the church. When they graduate from discipleship, they go to the Bible school where we're training them to send them back out to teach the word of God. So if you feel to give a one-time offering for evangelism or for our building, speak to your pastor. Partners and missions. And this church has been a partner for many years. Thank you so much for your giving. And you said there are 64 missionaries you're supporting or many missionaries. Thank you so much. Amen. As we're traveling, we're looking for people willing to come for three months, six months, 12 months to help with Bible studies, Sunday school. There's so much that has to be done. But let us always remember when we invest in souls, we are investing in eternity. When we give somebody a Bible study in Lebanon or you give your next door neighbor a Bible study, whether we teach Sunday school in Lebanon or you teach Sunday school here. I was blessed one time. I was in the state of Ohio where my wife is originally from. I was in a church and a 90-year-old woman a woman in her 90s come shuffling up to me. And she said to me, when I was a little girl, Sister Bond was my Sunday school teacher. Sister Bond is, was my wife's great-grandmother. 
You see, my wife's great-grandmother, I don't know, 70, 80 years ago, taught this, this uh, a young girl in Sunday school. And 70, 80 years later, she's still in church. And who knows how many generations have come to church because of that. Sunday school teachers are not babysitters, but they are apostolic Sunday school teachers. Pray your students through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My wife received the Holy Ghost six years old in a Sunday school class. So I thank God for Sunday school teachers. Whether you give somebody a home Bible study here or across the seas, we're investing in souls. And this is always for eternity. I would like for you to stand with me again. I'm going to preach a short message. And then we're going to end in an altar call. And my message... It's the calling of the bee, the calling of the church. To look first into the calling of the bee, we will be reading from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 18 in the English Standard Version, where it reads, In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. You may be seated. This is a photograph of a bumblebee and the bumblebee has been the subject of scientists for many years because of the very odd shape of the bumblebee. In 1930, there were two German scientists. One was in aerodynamics, the other was a biologist, and they were discussing the plight of the bumblebee. And the one that studied that, that had his degree in, in, in aerodynamics could not understand how the bumblebee could fly. So they, they put their math together. They did the dimensions of the bumblebee. And at the end, they came to the conclusion that the bumblebee cannot fly. But the problem with the bumblebee is he doesn't know German. So when the German scientists were talking on, he simply flew away. Four years later, 1934, Anton Magna, who was a French scientist, studied insects. He wrote an article about the bumblebee. He did all of the math, all of the dimensions, and at the end, he came to the conclusion that the bumblebee cannot fly. But the bee doesn't understand French either, so he simply flew away. But if you're going to look at this, even though there were scientists that were doing this, they did not go by all of the rules of science. The rules of science is this. Number one, you define your problem. They did the odd shape of the bumblebee and the short wings. Step number two, you researched the problem, and they did all of the research. Step number three, you draw your hypothesis. They all did and said the bumblebee cannot fly. But then there is step four where you make a controlled experiment where you observe, you verify, and you repeat. And if it can be observed and verified and repeated, then it is scientific regardless of how big the problem is, regardless of what your data says, regardless of what your hypothesis is. And the bumblebee flies because... God created it to fly. God created the bee to go from flower to flower, from fruit tree to fruit tree. God has spoken into the ear of the bee to fly because there is a purpose, and the purpose is to pollinate. And because of pollination, 
we get one-third of our food source. So if you were to take all the pollinators away, we would take away one-third of our food source. If you were to take away all the pollinators, these beautiful flowers would bloom for only one more season, and they would never bloom again. The bee has been called. He listens to his creator, and his creator says, I have created you to fly. So they simply fly. Why? Because the creator speaks to them, and they listen to the voice of the creator, and they do not listen to the voice of the naysayers. The church has a calling. This is our furlough replacement. Jonathan Dewey, they left Manitoba, Canada, they came to Lebanon to be our furlough replacements because of a calling. When we listen to the voice of our creator, he said, afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Let me repeat that. These signs will follow them that believe. Jesus said in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. We are called to pray. We are called to preach. We are called to baptize. We are called to cast out devils. If the Lord needs hands, we are his hands. If the Lord needs a voice, we are his voice. If the Lord needs feet, we are his feet. But if we stop walking, if we stop preaching, if we stop praying for the sick, no one else will be healed. No one else will be baptized. The last time Jesus gave this message, he was taken up into heaven, and Jesus never preached this message again. In Acts chapter 10, when the angel appeared to Cornelius, he said, your prayers your giving has come up as a monument before God. But you see, the angel could not give the plan of salvation to Cornelius. He could only give the address of the preacher. So when Peter came, while he was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. And then Peter said, it's time to be baptized in Jesus' name. A chapter before that, as Saul of Tarshish is going to Damascus to kill more Christians, the Lord knocked him down, and he said, why are you fighting against me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're fighting against. 
What must I do was the cry from Saul of Tarshish. But you see, Jesus did not preach to him the plan of salvation. The last time he did was before he ascended to the heavens. It's placed in the hands of the church. And the only way the message is going to be preached is if the church preaches it. The only way people are going to be healed, the church has to lay hands on the sick. The only way people are going to be baptized, the hands of the church has to put them under in Jesus' name. Saul of Tarshish was converted by a preacher coming to his house. So here we see the need of the church. In this day and age, there are many naysayers who believe that tongues is not for today and miracles are not for today. When we were in Cyprus, we were friends with this one missionary group. They had about 20 missionaries. And in this group of 20 missionaries, they believed officially that tongues is not for today and miracles are not for today. Then they had a problem. One of those members injured his back. He is laying in bed. He had 19 other missionaries to call, but the problem is they believe that miracles are not for today. So who do you think they called up? They called up the one apostolic that was there. When I went into his house, now this group believed that tongues is not for today. But when I went in, my wife and I, he said, listen, whatever you do in your church, you do here. If you pray in tongues, when you pray for the sick in your church, pray in tongues when you pray for me. You see, when they're desperate here is where they come. We are the ones they call. When they're desperate, they know where to go. And we are the ones. So we're going to stand. We're not going to water down this message. We're not going to compromise to win because you win nobody by compromising. Nobody gets saved. But when we stand... Miracles happen. But there are many people in Georgia. There are many people. I've been driving around Georgia for two weeks now. I see a lot of churches in the same group that I knew in Cyprus who believe tongues is not for today and miracles are not for today. We have a problem. So let's do a scientific experiment. Define your problem as tongues for today. Do your research. In our manual, which is the Bible, Jesus said, in my name, you'll speak with tongues. Okay? Draw your hypothesis. I believe it's for today. Now we need to make an experiment. Has anyone here ever spoken in tongues? Raise your hand. Okay. That's only one-third of the experiment. Number two, has it ever been verified? Has anybody ever heard you speaking in tongues? That's only two-thirds of the experiment. Have you ever spoken in tongues a second time? Scientifically, tongues is for today. And I don't care what the naysayers say. They can talk all they want. Our miracles for today. When I first came to church, August 6, 1972, I was a long-haired biker. I was, a, I was a Catholic boy who knew nothing about speaking in tongues, nothing about miracles. And when you pray, you pray like this. So when I came 
to the United Pentecostal Church in Schenectady, New York, and they were praying out loud like this. I thought they were crazy. But I went there because two nights before, I was on my donkey going to Damascus. No, no, I was on my chopped motorcycle leaving work. A car hit me head on. My left leg crushed between the motorcycle and the car, thrown over the car, down on the pavement. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. You see, sometimes people got a hard head. My best friend, my fellow biker, started going to the United Pentecostal Church. Him and his girlfriend kept inviting me, and I kept saying, no, a hard head. So the Lord had to knock me a good one. All right, Lord. He gave me a vision that night when I left the hospital. God spoke to me and told me to go to church, and God was going to touch my heart. So that was Friday night, so Sunday morning. I, my friend picked me up, and I went to church on crutches. But when I left the church, I was carrying my crutch. When I left church, I was speaking in tongues. When I left church, I was delivered from drugs and alcohol. You cannot tell me that miracles are not for today. I know what God did for me. I know what happened in my life. Have you ever had a miracle? Has anyone ever witnessed the miracle? Have you ever had a second miracle? Scientifically, miracles are for today. I don't care what the world has to say. I know miracles are for today because I know what happened in my life. This is Romania, 1990. Can tell it was a long time ago. I had black hair back then. Long, long time ago. That's me with the black hair. Slim body, black hair, long time ago. When I went there, this was a Pentecostal group, but they were not oneness. And our missionaries have been trying to get into Romania with this group for many years, but they've been afraid of the oneness message, so they've just held us out. By mistake, they invited me to come. So I went there, and God told me to go in to preach miracles and healing. I was in 11 churches in 11 days and preached to more than 7,000 people. At that time, there was no UPC missionary, but there is today. Brother Patterson, now his son, has been appointed, and we've got churches, and some of the people in these photographs are in United Pentecostal churches today. When I went there, my first church that I was in was not Pentecostal. It was another group that believed tongues is not for today. Miracles are not for today. And God spoke to me and said, I'm going to do something tonight. So I asked my translator, I said, do they have laying on of hands to pray for the sick here? And he went, no. He got scared. I mean, he really got scared. I said, okay. So I... I preached on miracles and healing. He translated when I was all done. I said, I just preached on miracles and healing, and I'm here to pray for you. Oh, no. About 90 people were there that night. But because they did not believe in laying out of hands, I had to give a warning. It's, it's like on the cigarette pack. It says, warning, this is hazardous to your health. I went, warning, this is hazardous to your theology. 
I said, I'm here to pray for you. If you want prayer, I want you to stand up. One third of the congregation stood up. I said, I want you to know that if you are standing, I'm going to come and lay my right hand on your head and pray for you. I'm giving them time to sit down. Nobody sat down. So I gave the warning a second time. Nobody sat down. So I went out and I laid my hand. I started praying. The translator was with me. Everything that I prayed, he translated to them. And what happened? Those people were crying as God was healing them one by one. The next morning, the pastor wanted me to come to his house before I went to the next city. You want to know why? He wanted me to lay my hand on his head and pray for his ministry. Walls came down. They once believed that miracles and tongues are not for today. Now they know it's for today. Now they know what we know. Now they know the only way to receive it is to listen to the word of God and obey it and he will do the rest. It seemed every church that I went to at least one third of the congregation wanted prayer. I remember being in a church. There was about 250 people. They had a very, very, very tiny altar area. It was about like this and came over here. They had pews here, here, and here. Now, even though these were Pentecostal churches, they did not pray for the sick because the pastors were afraid. They said, if we pray for the sick and they're not healed, the people won't have confidence in our ministry so they were afraid to pray for the sick. So they never prayed for the sick. So they had small altar areas because they did not use the altar to pray for people. In this one church of 250, that small area, I gave an altar call. One third of the congregation came for prayer. There was no room for them. I prayed for the people in the front. They knelt down. The people in the back started climbing up on their backs to be prayed for. Miracles were happening. Why? Because I don't care. What I don't care about my reputation. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And Jesus said, you preach it. You lay your hands and I'll do the rest. But there is something I found now. He goes with us when we preach and we pray. He goes with the church and he performs miracles. I came to this church. It was a gypsy church. 2,000 people were packed into this building, and I was scared to death not to pray for the sick, thinking they're going to kill me. If I pray for, if one-third of these people want prayer, I'm going to die praying for all these people. When I came to the building, it was a Sunday night. The chairs were outside. This building seats 1,300 people, but 2,000 people were there. So they took the chairs outside. They stood shoulder to shoulder in a long, narrow building. I preached miracles and healing. Then I went out and I started walking from the front to the back. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that's all I had time for. A, a blind woman was instantly healed when she was prayed for. A man with deaf ears was instantly healed when he was prayed for people of cancer instantly healed when they were prayed for and we have churches there today that somebody was not afraid to stand for the gospel message somebody was not afraid 
to reach out and to pray. 1989, this cute little girl, Amanda, is four years old. She was born with dislocated hips, but the doctors didn't know until she was two years old. From the time she was two to the time she was four, multiple surgeries. Girl was in constant pain. How she got around, they had a skateboard. She would lean on the skateboard and scoot herself with her hands. British military base doctors came from London. They took x-rays of Amanda and told the parents, we need to operate on your daughter. We need to bring her to London for an operation. There's a 50% chance that Amanda will be paralyzed from the operation, but if we do not operate now, she'll be paralyzed in six months. When we operate, we're going to cut through a certain area. When she is older, she will never be able to have children, but we don't have a choice. The parents signed up for the operation, but before they went to London, they asked us to come and to pray for Amanda. We walked into their apartment. They had a group of about 20 people in their living room. I read scriptures on divine healing. The word of God is alive. The word of God is powerful. After I read the word, we took Amanda, placed her in her father's lap. I laid my hand. I prayed in Jesus' name. This girl that was in constant pain told her mother, Mommy, when that man prayed for me, the pain left me. Miracle number one, when they went to London, the same doctors are in London. They took a new set of x-rays. When they examined the new x-rays, they said, take your child back to Cyprus because a greater physician than we has already operated on her. Who is the great physician? Who is the palm of Gilead? His name is Jesus like no other name. Today, Amanda's in her 30s. She walks, she's married, and has three children today. <laughs> From that miracle, we gave Bible studies in that house. Seven souls were water baptized in Jesus' name in the waters of baptism. One woman was delivered from seven phobias. Another man was healed of cancer. We serve a great and a mighty God. These are the words of Jesus. Excuse me. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the United States of America. People want to know there's miracles happening on the mission field. There's a revival. What's happening in America? I want you to know God is doing a great revival in the United States of America. The proof of that is in the youth. They've been having youth congresses for many years. Several years ago, they had a record attendance of 19,000. Two years later, 24,000. Two years after that, 41,000 young people baptized in Jesus' name, full of the Holy Ghost, gathering to worship the Lord. The church is alive and well, and there is revival in the United States of America. And here the young people go to the streets, they're laying hands on the Ten Commandments, praying for righteousness to prevail in the United States of America. There is revival. We have a calling. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
And these signs shall follow them that believe. Jesus said, in my name, in his name, we heal the sick. We cleanse the leper. We raise the dead. We cast out devils freely. We've received freely. We give. This is what we're called to do. The Middle East needs missionaries, and here's why. These are churches in northern Syria in recent years, one after another, that's being blown up. Because there are groups there that want to annihilate Christianity out of the Middle East and then the rest of the world. They went into these villages. They blew up churches. They round up the Christians, and they have them stand by family. They say to the parents, renounce Christ, or we will behead you in front of your children. The parents would not renounce Christ. They were beheaded in front of their children. Then these men went to the children, and they said, renounce Christ, or we will do to you what we did to your parents. And those children followed the example of their parents and stood there. For the Christians that remain, they need us. For the people that are doing the atrocities, they need us. Just like Saul of Tarshish needed Ananias, the preacher, to go and lay hands on him and then baptize him. These people need the church. And this is why. We are going back. But thank the Lord. He has protected us and kept us. And we're seeing great things happening. But when you think about the Middle East, 350 million people, less than 1% are Christians. These are great cathedrals in Europe that were once full And today they're empty, deteriorating from the inside because people aren't going to church anymore. These buildings that once held so many people that came in and they were in awe at the beauty of the cathedrals. But these people had a major flaw in their theology. They thought the church was a building. We are the church. And when their people came broken, they sent them away. When they came sick, they sent them away. When they came with needs, they sent them away and took care of their buildings. Today, these buildings are empty. In Europe today, 4% of the people go to church. Let us stand to our feet. The words of Jesus. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth labors into his harvest. We have a calling. I am of the belief pastors are not the only ones that are called. Missionaries are not the only ones that are called. I am of the belief that everybody in the church has a calling. 
Not everyone will take the microphone, but you have a calling. And if you think you have no calling, become an intercessor. Because the world needs intercessors. And that's something anybody can do to weep for the lost, to weep for the church, to intercede for the men of God. This is where we are called to Lebanon. And this is how the church can help us. But I'm going to close and say right now, how can you help this church? This community. Is there someone that you can give a Bible study to? Is there an unsaved loved one that needs our tears? Is there a Sunday school class to teach? Let us lift our hands and pray right now. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. We are the body of Christ. You, O oh Lord, are the head. And we are the body. And the body's only complete when we all come and we unite. Not only come to this building and pray, but we have to unite in heart. We have to unite in purpose. We have to pray, Lord. There is a harvest. Where is my place in the church? What is my calling? The harvest is great. We have to send laborers into the field. We need missionaries in the Middle East. We need missionaries in Europe. We need missionaries to Georgia. We need missionaries to our community, to our street, to our work, to our school. We need people with the determination I'm going to win people on the job I'm going to win people in my neighborhood I believe that the two greatest callings number one to be a worshiper number two to be a soul winner so right now I'm going to open up the altar right now